Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. If you're in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out SeedsChurchTN.com for times and locations. Now, here's our lead pastor, J.D. Swilly. Can I I celebrate some wins with you guys? So last week we had like five people give their life to Jesus, praise God. Uh, We had planned on baptizing five people also last week. We baptized nine. So praise God. These are also good measurables to see how the Lord is growing us. Amen. So praise the Lord. Today, we're going to look into Matthew's gospel, and we're going to look at the parable of the talents, also known as the parable of the three servants, the parable of the three slaves. It's also got some other headers there. But this parable, it's very rich. No no pun intended. And uh, maybe a little pun intended. But it's so rich that we're not going to have time to really kind of unpack every single thing in there. We're not going to be able to peel back every single layer of what's there. But we're going to definitely get the main idea of this today. And I, 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 I think that there's some things that we should know before we get into reading it. We need to kind of set the stage. It's important to note that Jesus told versions of this parable at least two different times. Uh, the very first time that he told the parable, it's recu- re- recorded in Luke's gospel, chapter 19. Jesus had just had an encounter with Zacchaeus. Uh, what we know about Zacchaeus, um, he was the, the head or chief uh, tax auditor of that region. And we also know that he was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. He was vertically challenged. And we also know that he was unscrupulous. He was a cheat. Uh, and everybody knew it. That was his widely known reputation. But the awesome thing about that story, Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus, is that you've got this corrupt government official, right? And, And he's out for money, and he's out for power, but then he has an encounter with Jesus, and he completely and totally repents. He does a complete 180, praise God, And because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, if he can have an impact on somebody like Zacchaeus, he can still have an impact on people like that today. Amen. And so after after Jesus has this encounter with Zacchaeus, a lot of people are following Jesus, and he's getting closer and closer to Jerusalem. And People are expecting Jesus, who they think is the Messiah. We think this guy is the Messiah. There's a lot of good signs that point to this. They're kind of expecting him at any moment now. He's going to overthrow the Roman government, and he's going to establish the kingdom of God in Israel, right? And so that's what their expectation is, but that's not exactly that the way that it rolls out. That's how Jesus explained it. He's like, you know, it's not going to go down exactly like that. So Jesus tells this parable of the three slaves in order to correct their understanding of the kingdom of God and how it was all supposed to roll out. And after he tells that parable, he moves even closer to Jerusalem, and he makes his triumphant entry, which we read about just a few weeks ago on Palm Sunday, right? So he goes into Jerusalem, and then 
like the first notable thing that he does when he gets there is that he goes to the temple where sacrifices are being made, except that it's not going down the way that it should go down. The people of God are being ripped off. And this holy place, the temple, where the people of God are supposed to meet with God is being desecrated. And so Jesus, uh, he disrupts the desecration. And in this moment, his actions actually speak louder than words. Jesus turned over the tables of the money changers, and when he was doing so, he was demonstrating that he had the actually authority to do that, that he was Israel's true king. Man, if anybody just walks in there and did that, whoo, forget about it. But Jesus knew his identity. He knew what God had called him to do, and he walked in his authority. And, uh, And so he's asserting his royal authority over the temple, again, which was the place where God and his people met together. Now, Jesus' view, the temple is being compromised by the hypocrisy of Israel's leaders. And so he's there, he's challenging their authority, and rightly so, I guess, naturally, I guess, not rightly so, but naturally, they get upset about it. Jesus is stepping on their toes. He's he's infringing on their turf, or at least they think it's their turf. And so they're angry. And so what do they try to do? They try to chat, they, they try to take Jesus and trap him and shame him in public debate. But that doesn't work. That completely fails. So then plan B is well, let's plot to kill him. So in response, Jesus delivers his final block of teaching. And the first thing that he does is that he critiques the Pharisees for their hypocrisy, and then he weeps over Jerusalem. He weeps because Israel has rejected God and God's way. Then he withdraws with the disciples, and he starts telling them about the future. And the first thing he tells them, he says, listen, I'm going to be executed by these leaders but that's not the end of the story. He's gonna be vindicated in his death by his resurrection, and one day he's going to return to set up his kingdom over all nations. So in the meanwhile, the disciples need to stay alert. They need to stay committed to telling people about Jesus and the coming kingdom. And it's at some point in that week after that after he turns over the tables in the temple and before the Passover, that he, he observes the Passover or what we also know as the Last Supper with the disciples, it's somewhere in that time period where he tells this parable for the second time. So the first time, I mean, it's gotta be within days of the time he told it the first time and then he told, tells it again the second time. So it, it's like, Seeing this in the scripture, again, the first time's in Luke, the second time's in Matthew, but that's the timeline that I just shared with you. To me, that says, hey, we need to pay attention to this, okay? Not not that we don't need to pay attention to everything in scripture, but there's something unique about when Jesus says something multiple times, okay? It's like, hey, we better be listening. And so there's another thing for us to keep in mind. Like I said earlier, you know, in your Bible, In different paragraphs and sections of scripture, there's little titles above them, right? That kind of give you an idea of like, hey, here's what this passage of scripture is about, right? 
And depending on what translation of the Bible that you have, will kind of vary slightly about what that heading says. Now, in Matthew chapter 25, when we read this parable, verse 14, there's a little heading there, and you can see it in your Bible if you've got it there. You can pull it up either on your phone or your, your actual paper Bible. And you can see in different, in different translations, depending on which thing you have, it might say the parable of the talents. It might say the parable of the servants. It might say parable about financial stewardship. It might say the story of investment. And all of those are okay titles. They're all right. Um, but when you read this parable in the full context of what was going on, and you read the parable of everything that Jesus was saying around this, this parable, we can see clearly that the bottom line of this parable is not about money. It's not about money. Jesus is only using money in this parable as a tool to reveal a greater truth and, and, and to explain something more than just how we should be good stewards of our finances. And let me say this, we absolutely should be good stewards of our finances, amen? Like the people of God on the earth, there shouldn't be another people group that should handle their money better than God's people. So this is, I'm not, I'm not like letting us off the hook for this, but I'm just saying there's something deeper and greater here in this parable than just, hey, this is about money. It, it's not really about that. It's just telling us a deeper truth. And so um, we, we shouldn't be reckless or irresponsible with our money because that's part of what God's entrusted to us. But Jesus is just trying to plant this truth in the disciples' heart. It's a greater truth. And because of context, because of time, because of the audience, a better heading for this parable would probably read, how to wait on the Lord's return. That's probably the more accurate description of what the point Jesus was trying to get across here how to wait on the Lord's return. In the very previous chapter, Matthew chapter 24, Jesus talks about the signs of his return, and he talks about how we, the disciples, his followers, should be ready for his coming. Then at the very beginning of chapter 25, which is where we're gonna read this parable, he tells another parable, and it's the parable of the 10 virgins or the 10 bridesmaids. And, and he starts off uh, that parable by saying this. He says, when, when my coming draws near, heaven's kingdom will be like this. And then he goes on to tell that parable, the parable of the 10 virgins. And then right after he tells that, he goes right in to the, the parable of the three slaves, which we're about to read, but let's pray before we read it. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. We're so glad that you are our Father. And we come... And we just lay our lives before you. We come and we, we say, help us hear what it is that your Holy Spirit is saying to us today. Help us see clearly what you, you're saying, what Jesus is saying to us in the word. And God, we want our lives to be in total and full alignment with your plan for our lives. So it, it, we just ask you right now for us to hear clearly so that we can be who you've called us to be. And I pray against any kind of distractions right now that would cause us to, our minds to wander or for us to not hear your truth. And Lord, we also 
come out of agreement with any lies that we've believed about you, with any lies that we've believed about ourselves or our circumstances, and we say, Holy Spirit, we want you to speak truth to us, and that's what we want to hang on to. So help us have ears to hear in the name of Jesus. Amen. Matthew chapter 25, you can go there in your Bible or you can read it on the screen. Jesus is saying, when my coming draws near, heaven's kingdom will be like this. Verse 14, for it is just like a man who's about to go on a journey, who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. Now, quick question, this is not a trick question, so you can just say it out loud. Who do you think the master is, this man that's about to go on a, on a journey, who do you think that is in the story? Very good, see? Not a trick question, Jesus. And then the slaves that he calls to him that he entrusts his possessions to, who do you think that is? It's us, that's right, it's you and me. It's his followers, it's his disciples. So verse 15, to the one slave, he gave five talents. To another, he gave two talents. To another slave, he gave one talent, each according to his own ability. And we didn't, again, like I said, we don't have time to get into all of this and peel back the layers of all of this, but I want you to keep that in mind. And I would encourage you this week as homework, as you're seeking God in the word, this week, go and read Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 25. But the Lord gave the talents to the servants, to the, excuse me, to the slaves, because there's a slight difference between servants and slaves. You know, servants can walk off the job anytime. Slaves, they're dedicated for life. Okay, so there's, there, again, there's more to that, but we don't have time to get into it. But G, the, the master gave the talents to the slaves according to their own ability. And he went on his journey. Now, something that I think we need to define here to understand the weight of this parable is we need to define what a talent is, okay? So the word talent here being used is not the way, it's not the word talent that we use in our everyday language in the English language, okay? Uh, it, it, Jesus is not talking about, you know, some kind of natural aptitude or skill. A talent was a measurement of weight, and in particular, this particular instance, it was an amount of money. Now, some paraphrases interchange the word talent for $1,000. That is a gross miscalculation. <laughs> it is far more than that. Uh, if, we, if you do the study, you find out that a talent of gold or silver was worth years and years and years worth of wages. How many of you are earning more than $1,000 over the course of years and years and years? I pray here that you are. If not, you're living in poverty. We're gonna get you on Dave Ramsey and we're gonna get you out of poverty, amen. Okay, so, but in today's standards, in today's standards for the average Tennessean, uh, we would say that a talent could be anywhere between $800,000 and $1.2 million. So for the sake of simplicity, let's split the difference and call it a cool meal, okay? So the master gives about $5 million to the one slave. Then he gives about $2 million to the next slave, and he gives $1 million 
to that third slave. And then, peace out, I'm going on my journey. Now, verse 16, the one who had received the five talents immediately went and, man, immediately. He immediately went and did business with them. I didn't even, that didn't even jump off the page of me in my study, but it does right now. He immediately went and did business with them and earned five more talents. So now he's got about 10 mil, 10 million-ish, in our, in our, according to our standards. In the same way, the one who received two talents earned two more. So now he's got about how many? Four million. But he who received the one talent, he went away and he dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. So basically, he took a million dollars cash and stuffed it in the mattress. <laughs> How many of you have heard those real life stories where the people have done that, you know? I've had to have conversations with my grandfather about stuff like that, you know? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to see if there's anything else in there that, that's, that jumps out at me. But anyway, now I, I do want to point this out because. Verse 19 uh, gives us a little bit more context for what just happened because we said the one who had received the five talents immediately went and did business with them and earned five more talents. I'm going to guess that didn't happen just overnight, (laughs) okay? I mean, great if you can take $5 million and turn it into 10 overnight, but they didn't have like a global economy like we do now. There was no NASDAQ or Dow. There was no uh, giant corporations to invest into. So this, to, to do that, would take a tremendous amount of work, especially in an agrarian society like this. But he did it. And and here's the context right here, verse 19, after a long time, okay? So these guys had a long time to, to handle this money, to manage this money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five additional ones, five more, saying, Master, You entrusted five talents to me. See, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. Have any of you been at work before? And maybe, you know, we have a lot of people here that you own your own business, but if you were ever an employee and you did something good, have you ever had your boss be so elated over that? Like, enter the joy of your boss. I've never worked for anybody that said anything like that before. I've had a lot of good pats in the backs and attaboys and some bonuses from time to time. But entering the joy of your master is a whole nother level. That's a whole nother level. And, and, and so, uh, verse 22, the, the one who had received the two talents, he came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have earned two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. You also get to enter into the joy of my rest, or excuse me, the joy of your master. You get to have the exact same experience as the other guy. Now 24, verse 24. Now the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, 
I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you did not scatter seed. And I was afraid, so be impressed by this, master. (laughs) I went away and I hid your talent in the ground. See, you still have what is yours. You can imagine, he's just trying to like, just totally, you know, put, you know, as they say, polish a turd, I guess, you know. Um, So, now let me ask you this question again. Who's the master in this story? Jesus. Let me ask you this. Do we think of Jesus as being a hard man? Would you describe him as being someone that takes things that don't belong to him? Would you describe Jesus as being a thief? Okay, because that's exactly the way that this slave is talking to his master. He's saying, well, this is what I think of you. This is the kind of person that I think you are. You know, these are the kinds of things that I think you would do. You're hard. You reap where you don't sow. You harvest where you haven't planted. You don't, I mean, you you take things that don't belong to you. So do you see the fundamental error that this slave has in his view of the master? He's got the master completely wrong. His perception of who the master is is absolutely, completely distorted. It it appears to me that the master is a pretty generous guy, actually, because I don't know any stingy people that go around handing out $5 million and $2 million and $1 million to people. And in addition to that, I think it's pretty safe to say that the master is generous because of his response to the other two slaves. He's like, hey guys, great job. You've multiplied what I gave to you and you are, have been managing that already. But on top of what you've, you've increased and managed, I'm gonna give you even more. Let's celebrate. So I, there's an obvious difference in the way that this third slave's there's an obvious difference between the way that he views the master, between that and the other two slaves. They're seeing the master completely differently. This reminds me of one of my favorite quotes. You guys are, a lot of you are probably gonna guess. A.W. Tozer, what has he said? He says, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It certainly is in this case with this slave. When our perception of who God is and what he's like, when it's distorted and it's out of whack, it will cause you at times to act incredibly foolish. Like go bury a million dollars cash in the backyard. It will cause you at times to lack even the most common sense. Just like it did with the slave. Verse 26. But his master answered and said to him, you worthless, lazy slave. Did you know that I reap where I did not sow? and gather where I did not scatter seed? Well, if that's what you thought of me, then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival, I would have at least received money back in interest. Now, the point here, Jesus is not, 
Jesus is not saying, yes, in fact, I am exactly the way that you describe me to be. I'm a mob boss. No. What Jesus is saying, if that's what you really thought of me, you, you should have had enough sense to not stuff your mattress with a million dollars cash. I mean, what if there had been a fire? It would have all been gone. At the very least, you could have gone down and opened a savings account with a low-yielding interest, and over 10 years' time, it would have earned over $100,000 without even doing anything. But you couldn't even drive to the bank. That's crazy lazy. In verse 28, the master says, therefore, take the talent away from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. And throw the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Are you telling me that if I don't double my investments, I'm going to hell? That is not what this parable is about. We do need to be good financial stewards, but that's not what this really is about. What this parable is about is how to wait on the Lord's return. Jesus Christ is God. He lived without sin. He died on the cross, paid the penalty for our sin. He rose from the dead to conquer death and to forgive sin. He's the way, the truth, and the life. When we repent of our sin and we put our trust in him, we get to receive eternal life. Amen. And Jesus rose from the dead and he hung out here on earth for 40 days, teaching and performing signs and wonders after his resurrection. He appeared to the disciples on multiple occasions. And then even at one time, he appeared to a crowd of 500. But now where is he? He's on a journey and he's been gone for a long time. Now, the good news is, is that we know where he's been. <laughs> he ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of the throne of God, and he's interceding for you and me. Wonderful. And one day, he'll be back. Looking forward to that day. So the master went on a journey, and he entrusted you and me, his slaves, with his possessions. And it's our responsibility that we wait well for his return. How do we wait well? Waiting well for the Lord's return is not passive. We're not loitering. We're not just standing around waiting for time to pass for him to come back. No, we wait well by multiplying what he's entrusted to us, whatever that is. Listen, I, I want to increase my financial portfolio, but Jesus was talking about something more than just money here. He's talking about the command that he's given for us to increase the span of his kingdom while he's gone. What's the last thing that he said? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Tell people the good news. 
baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all I have commanded you, and I am with you. You can be sure of this. I am with you even to the end of the age. And then 10 days later, the Holy Spirit comes and rests upon the early church, and praise God, now we are in the season of waiting. And what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be multiplying what he's entrusted to us. We're supposed to be increasing the span of his kingdom while he's gone. What, again, what does that mean? It's increasing the span of his kingdom. What is the kingdom of God? In a short answer, what Paul said to the church in Rome, he said, the kingdom of God is righteousness, it's peace, and it's joy in the Holy Ghost. So for us to increase or widen or establish God's kingdom here on the earth while our master is gone for a long time on this journey, it means that we are to help people to discover their right standing with God. It means that we're supposed to help others toward experiencing the peace that passes all understanding. It means that we're supposed to help people encounter this good feeling in their soul that is produced by the work of the Holy Spirit as he allows us to see the beauty of Christ in the world and in the word. And that's going to look a little bit different for each and every one of us. There's going to be a lot of similarities, but it's going to also look a little different from person to person because it even looked different in this parable from one slave to the next to the next, right? They didn't all start off with the same amount. They started off with the amount that the master thought was appropriate for them. And though they may not have all started with the same amount of resources, they did all have the same responsibility. What's that responsibility? to multiply what they had been given. For you and me, to multiply what we have been given. I heard it stated this way once. Start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. Start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. Now I understand some people in 21st century Western culture, it can be a little bit of a, a tough pill for us to swallow that we don't all start with the same amount. We want just everything for everybody, but even Stevens. But it's just not that way, and it's okay. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So we're not gonna get upset that someone else started off up here and we started right here. I'm not going to be upset about that. Don't be offended by that. Don't be jealous of what God entrusted to someone else. That's a complete waste of your time and energy. The bottom line is that no matter what you've been given, we all have the same command. Wait well by multiplying what's been entrusted to you. Start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can. Maybe you're a one-talent or two-talent slave. But in your heart, you have a five-talent vision. It's on the inside of you. You see all this stuff, and you, you don't have the resources to execute the vision. 
and you feel defeated because of that, or you feel immobilized because of that, or somehow maybe along the journey, you've hit uh, you know, different roadblocks, and you've had to go different detours, and you, you are familiar with disappointment. I understand that. But let me encourage you, do something with what you've got. It's okay to have a bigger vision than what you can accomplish. It's okay. But it's not okay to bury what you've got. The master was not upset with the two-talent slave because he didn't accomplish the exact same amount as the five-talent slave. He was just as happy with the two-talent slave as he was with the five-talent slave. No difference. He said the exact same thing to them. So start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. Here's the last thing. Don't devalue what God gave you. Don't devalue what God gave you. Don't get into the comparison game. One of the notable things in this parable is that each of these three slaves were given much. Five million dollars is a lot of money. But so is two million dollars. And so is one million. We sabotage ourselves by playing the, the comparison game. We, we, well, they've got five million and all I've got is one million. You still have one million. That's a lot. Now listen, of course, you may not literally have $1 million in your bank account right now. Some of you that do, praise God. But many of us don't. But that's not the point. The point that Jesus is making is that no matter what it is that you have, he decided to entrust it to you, and he says this is of great value and of worth. So to him, it's all important. It was just as important to the master, the $1 million that he gave to that one slave, and it was just as important as the $5 million. To him, it was all important. So don't devalue what God gave you. The master is coming back. How do we wait well for his return? Start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can. Don't devalue what God gave you. And when we do that, we can gladly look forward to the day that the master returns and he looks at us and says, well done, good and faithful slave. You're faithful in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. Would you stand up with me today? Let me just pray. I encourage you to just join your faith with me today. And I know that the Lord has been speaking to many people in this place today. For some of it, it was a word of encouragement. For some of it was a little bit of a kick in the pants. For others of us, it was a slight adjustment. But I just thank God that for whatever it is that he's speaking to us, I say, yes, Lord, speak. God, if, it, if it's a, if it's a, word that I wasn't really looking forward to hear, I don't care. I'm glad I just get to hear you speak to me. And I want to be changed. 
So first of all, Lord, we just acknowledge you, Jesus, that you are master. Help us have a right view of the kind of master that you are. that you're not a thief, that you don't take things that don't belong to you, that that's not the kind of person that you are, but you're generous. So God, help us be the kind of slaves to you. Lifelong, just bonded to you, God. Help us serve you and let it be the pleasure and the joy of our life. That when you give us something, that we don't sit on it for, for too long or we don't bury it, but we go out and we immediately start doing something. It's our joy to serve you. Help us wait well for your turn. God, that's going to look different for different of us in here, for those of us in here. That it's going gonna, it's gonna to be different for, for me and Jamie than it is for Ed and Peg. And it's going to be different for them than it is for Scott and Alice. And it's going to be different than them than it is for Jesse. And it's going to be different for her than it is for Tim and Alana. God, it's going to look a little different, but we're all going to have the same similarity in that that's that we, God, want to gladly work toward multiplying what you've entrusted to us. God, I just pray for the five talent people in this room right now, God, or even the two talent people in this room right now, God, I pray that you would continue to increase them, that you would continue to bless the hands of their work. And God, when I say that, I'm not talking about the amount that they've been given. I'm talking about the diligence that they've been working in. God, I pray that you would continue to increase the diligence of your people and the fruit of their labor as they continue to put their hand to the plow, as they continue to serve faithfully, as they continue to be ministers of the God faithfully, as they continue to raise their families, as they continue to be Jesus in, in, their, in the light in their workplace and to their friends or into their, their classes and their school. God, wherever, God, I pray that you continue to increase those people. Help them continue to make an impact and make a difference and expand, uh, your, expand your kingdom here on the earth. I pray blessing on them. God, I pray for the people who might feel defeated. They might feel immobilized. They might feel disappointed. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you encourage them, that you help them breathe, just breathe new life into them. Give them new inspiration. Remind them of what you've called them to do. Remind them that they can just start where they are, that they can just use what they have, that they can just do what they can. Encourage them, Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that you would inspire us to to encourage one another also. Use us to do your encouraging, Jesus. God, I pray for people who might be wrestling with jealousy. Well, I don't see why they've got all that. I don't see why God's blessed all that. I'm just as good as they are. God, why don't you do that for me? God, if that's the attitude of our hearts, we repent. We repent 
and we pray blessing on our brothers and sisters. And we ask you to bless us, to help us start where we are. Use what we have, do what we can. We reject an attitude or spirit of jealousy. And we say yes to a spirit of we are going to encourage every single person in the kingdom of God to continue being faithful with what you've given them, with what you've entrusted them. God, I pray for anyone who has buried their talent. God, I pray right now for anyone that's either in this room or watching online right now, they buried their talent. I thank you that it's not too late to go get it and dig it up. I thank you that there is time today, there is time even now for us to go rediscover what you've entrusted to us and start where we are, use what we have and do what we can. And I pray blessing on those folks, God, that you help them. It might feel like they've buried it really deep, but God, give them a great big old spiritual backhoe to dig it up. Holy Spirit, I ask you for inspiration for us on how to multiply whatever it is the Lord has entrusted to us. Jesus, we look forward to your return. We ask you to help us wait well. And I'll say this. If there's anybody here in this room today where you're watching online, and if you're not following Jesus, means you've buried your talent. But there's still time. There's still time. Don't let the master come back and your talent be in the ground and have him say, throw him out into outer darkness. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's still time. You can call upon the name of Jesus today and be saved. Praise God. And if that's you today, I just want to encourage you right now to pray with me as I pray. And if you, this is you and you're praying this right now and you're saying, yep, I'm going to follow Jesus today, I want you to just lift your hand high to heaven right now. I don't know if that's anybody. If you're watching online and you're, you're making this decision, just type in the comments, hey, I'm digging, up my tra- I'm digging up my talent today. Lord God, I come to you now and I give my life to you wholly and fully. I repent of my sin. I trust in you. I believe, Jesus, that you are the Son of God, that God raised you from the dead, and I, I confess you as my Lord. I ask you to come and make me new. Give me hope, give me purpose, make a difference with my life. I thank you for saving me from sin. I am no longer a slave to sin, but I am your slave. And God, so come and do the work inside of me. I gladly want to give you my life and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with us at SeedsChurchTN.com. And on social media, our mission at Seeds Church is to help people discover who God created them to be and equip them to do what He called them to do. One of the easiest ways you can help us accomplish our mission 
is by simply sharing this podcast. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you soon.